We are coming to the end of the book of Revelation, and if you would please turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 22. While you're turning, just say we are uh, finishing this book up, and it's taken a little while. We've just moved slowly through it. Our intent is to understand this book and understand our responsibilities. We'll look at some more this week, and then next week should be our last week in the book of Revelation. And then the following Sunday, I'm going to wrap everything up, pull it all together and put it in the systematic theology that we know it. And I want to emphasize the, the rapture. We didn't get to say too much about a rapture. And so in a few weeks, I'm going to talk about the rapture. And then we will move to the book of Proverbs and try to think through some Christian principles or on holiness, practical Christian living. And uh, so... That's what we have to look forward to in the next few months. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren, the prophets and those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the books Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still practice his or still keep his holy himself holy. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. To render to every man according to what he has done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is your word. I pray that your word is exalted today. May we treat it as your word. May we, in our minds, understand that this word is set apart. It is holy. And then, Lord, may we apply these things to our lives May we live as though this is a special book and it means something to us. May you use these pages today to change the way we think about you and about your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read a novel and you're coming to the end of that novel... And everything begins to be resolved. All the loose ends of the the story become pulled together and and it's a a satisfying conclusion. You feel that sense of satisfaction, that sense of closure. And and, and it kind of makes you feel good. Wow, I've read that book. I understand that. It was a great story. You take that book and you just put it on the shelf and you, you never read it again. Because you know it. You already read that. Many times we do the same things with movies. We'll, we'll watch that movie and that movie will be such a good movie and, and everything ends just the way we want it to. And then um, we never watch that movie again. In fact, in, in the Dingus household, what we do, sometimes we get so excited about a movie. We think, oh, it's a great movie. We run out and buy that movie and we never watch it again. We just put it on the shelf and never watch it. 
But you can't do that with the Word of God, can we? There's a danger here. We're coming close to the end of the book of Revelation here, and we can't do that. Christ didn't give us this book to just satisfy our curiosity about what's going to happen in the future. This isn't a a warm, fuzzy, feel-good kind of book that we just read it once and put it on the shelf. Now, this is a, a book that requires action. We're supposed to do something as a result of this book or think a certain way as a result of this book. Now, John was the one who was commissioned by Christ at the beginning to write everything that he saw, write it down. Everything he heard and he saw, and he wrote it down. And now Christ and the angel is there as well, John himself. And as though they're having a meeting in this passage, it seems like they're having a meeting and, and pulling these things together, how to respond to this book. And John's being coached, if you will, on how on the appropriate response, what they're supposed to what he is supposed to do next. And it's not just for entertaining our speculation about the future, but it is to motivate us to live godly lives or live Christ-centered lives. And that's what I want you to see, the knowledge that Christ could return at any moment should cause the believer to lead a Christ-centered life. And that's the focus. That's what we want, to, to live as though Christ is going to return at any moment. You say, well, how should we respond? How do we respond to this? Give us some details. And there's plenty of details here in this passage. Be specific. And I've got five specific responses here. or That's just what we see in this passage. And this passage moves quickly. It jumps from here to there. And there's different people speaking. But there's a, there's a, a central focus. And that's responding biblically, responding to this book. Appropriate ways to apply this book to our lives. And I've addressed these by attaching certain words to them. So there's five words that we're going to attach to. The first word is elevation. first word is elevation. We find this in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Now, we've seen that before in chapter 21. Christ actually said these things. Uh, He said this before, that these are faithful and true. And this is referring to The source, that these words are faithful and true because they come from a God who does not change and a God who does not lie. So they're faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophecy, sent his angel. The source of this book is God himself. And he was the one. He moved. He he sent the spirits to the prophets who inspired those books of the prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And now John is one of those prophets. This is the word of God. This is the source is God himself. And this is God's word sent out by these angels. And John has has been exposed to this. And the in the genre of the this word, there's five or six genres that we find in Scripture. And the genre of this book is prophecy. This is a prophecy. Now, the word prophecy in general just means to proclaim, to to send out the message, to prophesy in that general sense. But the way it's used here is the prophetic sense. It's not past or present, but it's it's future in the future sense. This is apocalyptic. This contains the future and God's promises for the future predictions, if you will, in the sense in which we know prophecy. And God wants to make it clear that he is the source. That's what this verse is saying, that he is the source 
of this book. Christ, he has given his word to the church through his servant John, and it is to be on equal par with the rest of Scripture. This book is is to be nothing less than full and complete revelation of Scripture. It is not to be looked at as a Johnny come lately. This is the last book and maybe it didn't get into the canon. No, this is to be fully part of Scripture. And God wants everyone to know that. This is not John's over, overactive imagination or some bizarre dream that John has had. We can't place it in the category of just this mystic experience that John, the spiritual leader, had. This book is to be elevated to the Word of God. To the same level as the Word of God. It is to be understood alongside with the Word of God, compared with Scripture, as we compare all of Scripture. And it is not a common word. It is set apart. It is holy, we might say. A holy word. Unfortunately, though, and just by way of application, we don't see this, not just the book of Revelation, but the Word of God being set apart today. It's so commonplace. And we don't really see it as being elevated. Man has that tendency to kind of just sweep these things under the rug and and just treat it as though it's just one opinion among many opinions. And we do that kind of by obscuring the message. And Satan's very good at that. Remember, from the very beginning, he caused Eve to be deceived. He says, has God said is that really true? Is that what it says? And we see that a lot in the book of Revelation. People use the book of Revelation and they, ah, oh, it's unclear and, and the message is so obscure, but it's really not. It's really not. And so they treat it as it's not, we're not accountable to that. And they act as though God has not spoken. But that's just not true. God has spoken. You say, well, and we as Christians have an obligation to elevate this word. You say, how do you do that? Well, let's, let's think about that. How do we, how do we know if we have a, a high view of scripture? How do we know if we're elevating scripture? Well, there's a few things that I want to point out to you. First of all, do you, and this is just self-examination. This is what I had to do with my own life. Just examine myself. Does this book, not just the book of Revelation, but the whole of scripture, but particularly this book of Revelation, does it influence my life? Does it influence my thinking? Does it influence my thinking? If so, I have a high view of that. If I, if I go to it daily and I, I think, how is this going to impact my life? Now, many times we just say, well, this, this book is good for salvation. It tells me about salvation. It tells me to live a good moral life. And other than that, that's, that's about it. But that's not true. This is the Word of God. This is a, a book that's holy, set apart. This is a, a living Word. The Holy Spirit uses this Word to work in our hearts, to work in our life. This is a, a living book. Do we, do we allow it to impact our life? Do we allow it to influence our life? Or does it just, just get crowded out with all the other opinions that are out there about the future? Number two, do we seek to understand it? If we have a high view of Scripture, we will seek to understand this book. Not just the book of Revelation, but the whole book. Do we seek to understand it? You say, well, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. 
That's why we're told in Scripture to study. Even Timothy, who had the sacred writings, even when he was young, he was told by Paul, study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. So do we study it? Number three, and this is just, again, by way of application. Do we sacrifice for this book? If we really elevate this book in our mind, we will sacrifice for this book. We'll get up early to study this book. We'll get up early to come to listen to this book being preached. Or, or come to Sunday school and discuss these things. And discuss on how to best apply these things to our lives. Do we, do we sacrifice for it? Another way of just applying it is, do we place confidence in this book? Now think about that. Do you place confidence in this book? Has this book developed in your life convictions that my life is different as a result of reading this book? Not just the book of Revelation, but the whole book. Then you can apply it to the book of Revelation. Those are things, if we're doing those things, we can say, yeah, we have a high view of Scripture. Other than that, I'm afraid the Word of God just gets cloudy. It's just one voice among many. This is a holy book. This is a book that is to be set apart. Number two, the word is obedience. We elevate God's word and then we obey God's word. The word obedience, look in verse 7. This is Christ speaking here. The angel is speaking in verse 6. Christ chimes in. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of of the prophecy of this book. Now, Christ is saying, I, I could come at, at any moment. That's what he means here. It's an imminent return. At any moment, Christ could come. And the urgency here is be doing this book. Uh, take heed to this book. Blessed is he who heeds it or obeys this book. Literally, to keep this book. To hold on to this book. To guard this book is the idea. And the idea is obedience. Do you put yourself under this book? Now, the thing is, is there's, there's no commands in this book for the church. We just don't see them. There's no outright commands that here's what you are to do. And so what command is he talking about? And what are we to heed to? The idea is... That Jesus, the focus of this book is that Jesus is coming quickly. He's the one that's in charge. He is the one that's in control. We see him exalted and he can come at any moment and we're to live under that understanding or live that under that information. And this, this book and to, to be obedient to this book is, is a command to long for his return. Long for and desire for, for heaven. It's to, to live a life that in expectation of Christ's return at any moment. Now, that's a life of faith, isn't it? It's a life of faith. We expect Him to return at any moment that He could return. And how do we live that? How do we live as though Christ could return at any moment, at any time? Let me give you some things that I've just thought through. Number one, we keep short accounts with God. If I think that Christ is going to come back at any moment, if he could come back, then I don't want to have any broken relationship when he comes. I want a relationship with him, and I don't want that relationship to be a little awkward. Have you ever experienced that? Kind of being on the outs with your friend, and you haven't really spoken in a while, and it's kind of awkward when you finally get back together. You don't want any of that. 
So you keep short accounts of God. You confess your sin. You don't want any broken relationship. And when He returns, and you look Him in the eye, that relationship will be sealed. You, you will know that. Number two, we also need to detach ourselves from the world. When we are living as, as though Christ is, could return at, at any moment, we're somewhat detached from this world. We're looking into the, to the next life. We kind of detach ourselves from this world. That's what happens. It's kind of a natural thing that happens. Number three, we pursue the love of Christ. We pursue our our love for Christ increases. When we're looking for and anticipating Him coming, our love for Him continues to to increase. And that time of fellowship with Him is, is going to be more precious We all have an urgency in our heart. There's a yearning, let's say a yearning in our own heart. And for believers, that's a yearning to have a fellowship and have relationship with Christ and God, our creator. Now, what happens many times is we fill that yearning with with all kinds of other things. And we get preoccupied with all this stuff from this world. And we fill that, that yearning with things that really don't apply. It's kind of like eating junk food before, before a good meal. And you're not hungry. That's, that's kind of the idea. We fill our hearts with Christ. There's no one on this earth that can, that can fill that void. And Christ is going to return. We're going to have her, and we have that relationship with Him now. And, and longing for Him just increases that and fills that, fills that cup, fills that desire. So we obey its words. We, we look forward to Him coming. We live as though He could come at any moment. The next word in verses 8 and 9 is the word worship. Look at the response that John has in verse 8. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. Now, you remember, uh, he was commanded to look and write these things down, and he saw and he heard everything that needed to be heard and saw and seen. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship, fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. So John had seen these things and in his immediate response was to, to worship. And he falls down and and worship. Now this is probably out of amazement of what he saw. This is a reaction to truth that he has been exposed to. And he says, I, John, I saw these things. John is an eyewitness. Now John was used to being an eyewitness. When uh, Christ was here on this earth, John witnessed his life. For three and a half years, at least John was with him. And I believe that they knew each other even before that three and a half years. And John was a a testimony, could give a testimony of the life of Christ. He was a witness of the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And now John is the witness of things to come. And John is the key that ties all of these things together. There's a consistency. And it's from John's life here. And he sees in the future Christ's return. He has seen it. And he's responding to this truth. And now he knows that he is not to worship angels. In fact, this is a little embarrassing. He's done this before and the angel had to rebuke him and said, don't do that. And that's what the angel does this time. But I believe it's just a little overwhelming for John. To be exposed to the truth, his natural reaction is just to, to worship, to fall down. And to be humbled, be humbled humbled. 
and, and to worship. And the angel, of course, responds correctly. And the only way that the angel should respond is don't do that. <laughs> Stop. Stop doing that. He says, I'm just a fellow servant just like you. I was created by God, just a created being uh, just like you. And, uh, and he says, don't worship me. He says, worship God. It is God's word. He is the one who has spoken. These are God prom- God's promises. And this is his words. He, are, he is the one who is producing these words. He is showing you these things, John. Now, what's interesting here is that the falling down and worshiping is an act of worship. In, in John's heart, that was, that was what was meant. He was worshiping. He was, he was responding to these things. And there's a danger in that. Now, just think about this. During the tribulation period, when the Antichrist comes along, they're going to be forced to bow down and worship. Now, there might be some of those, some Christians that would say, well, look, if I'm going to be killed, I don't want to be killed, so I'm going to bow down and I'm going to not worship him, but I'm just going to bow down to him. But not really worship. In my heart, I know I'm worshiping God, but I'm bowing down to, I might be bowing down on the outside, but in my heart, I'm worshiping God. Let there be no mistake, no confusing. If you're bowing down to an idol... You're worshiping that idol. We have to be very careful today. And, and, and John, he, his response was to, to bow down and to, to worship. But the angel would not receive that worship. Again, it's the proper response from the angel. John had the right response. He just had the wrong person. The wrong person. We have to be very careful about that. Because worship is a natural reaction for believers. When we see God at work, when we see supernatural activity, and John saw it, amazing things, the response is to worship. The content of the book of Revelation elicits worship. It just, it just pulls worship out of us, it seems. But that's a principle that we find throughout, really, throughout Scripture, that, that truth provides the context of worship. When we discover truth and when we're exposed to truth, our hearts just respond in, in reaction of worship to God. That's what that's just what we do. And, and it should be that way. It's a good thing. So when we're reading this, the proper response for the believers to, to worship God, this, this should help us in our worship. Now, we worship in two ways, don't we? First of all, we worship with our life. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 our whole life is a service of worship to God. That's, uh, that's what John is saying. And everything that we do on a regular daily basis is a worship to God. That's our motivation is to, to give uh, our lives over to God. And it's a, it's a sacrifice to, to God. And the book of Revelation should be one of those books that we read through that and it energizes our worship. It energizes. It's, we read through this. We see Christ is going to return at any moment. And our, li- our, our hearts are filled. And our hearts respond in worship. Lord, I can go on one more day. I, I can be energized again for you this morning. I can be energized to get up and go to a work. Go to a job that's very hard. But it's a job that I'm glorifying, honoring you at. Well, Lord, thank you for, for this. And it's a proper response to worship. 
proper response to this book. That's a life of worship. But we also come together and we worship. There's moments in time, like John had, this moment in time that you just are overwhelmed and you just you respond by worship. And that's what we do here. It's what we do on Sunday mornings, collectively. Now, individually, you do the same thing. In fact, those individual moments of worship throughout the week, they add to this. They add to your personal worship when we come together. This is corporate worship here. This is what we what we do. And the book of Revelation helps us to do that. When we read through its truths, when the ideas that we sing on the, we see these words on the screen, these ideas of Christ returning, our hearts well up and we worship with, with truth, spirit and truth. And this is, becomes then a source of worship. In fact, it, it can be a, a source of profound worship. Because we see these things clearly and, and our hearts just react. That's just this profundity of what we're seeing here. Now, I want you to think about this a little bit. We need to let our minds dwell on the fact that we will see our Creator face to face. There's no one on this earth that knows us more intimately than God Himself does. Now, sometimes we, we kind of put other people in that, that category. Oh, they know me and I'm so close with them. But the reality is, is nobody knows you like God knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And, and we will come face to face with that intimate being that we've had a relationship. And the thing is, is we love it. We love Him. And it's a natural reaction is to, to worship and to, and to, it's an act of worship. It's an act of love to, to bow down and worship Him. That's a wonderful thought. And that should spur us on to, to worship. Number four, it should cause us to worship, but it also, the next word is proclamation in verse 10. It says, and He said to me, this is the, this is the angel, do not, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy keep himself holy. Now, there's two elements here. First of all, he is not to seal up the message of this book. This message is clear. God has made it clear purposefully, and He wants this message to be spread, to be public, to be proclaimed. Why? Because Christ could come at any moment. And every generation needs to hear this. And the time is near. There's a sense of urgency. People need to hear. And God is, uh, God is not trying to conceal His Word. He is not, this isn't just a, a secret little message for the for the believers, here's what's going to happen. No, this message needs to be in the public forum. It needs to be out there. It needs to be unleashed. Because, and we will gauge people's response to this word. Look at verse 11. This is, this is where his mind goes. It needs to go public. It needs to be out there because there's, the time is near. And he says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Now, there's a, there's a little bit of, uh, we have to be careful here for our understanding. 
The word let there, there's two words that we need to focus on. The word let there is a, a passive, actually it's a middle voice. It's something that they're doing to themselves. If, if they want to continue to do this, then the word, the next word is still let them do this. But in fact, it's, it's more enhanced. So if, if they see, and the idea is if they come face to face with this picture that God has given them, They can see what the future is going to look like. And they can remain unchanged. Then let them remain unchanged. There's a a certain sense. In fact, they deserve God's wrath. There's a certain sense in which their destinies are fixed as a result of, of this word. If they are doing wrong. And they look into the future. God told them this picture of the future. They look into that future. And they remain unchanged then let it be so, we might say. And that's kind of harsh. But he is essentially saying, if they want to go down that road, let them go down that road. But they need to be faced with the truth. They need to hear the proclamation and the reality of what God is going to, to do to them, of judgment. Now, the truth is always like that. The truth will either melt our hearts in response or it will harden our hearts in, in, in unrepentance. It will, it will be used as an instrument of salvation for us or damnation. There's no neutral ground to the truth. That's just the way it is. You will respond in some way. When you're exposed to these truths, you're going to either it's going to soften you or it's going to harden you and you're going to continue on your way. This is sobering. This is a sobering picture of Scripture, but it's a reality. It needs to be proclaimed, but it also has that sense of of fixing people's destiny. The way they respond, the way they treat this book, if they respond to the warnings of this book, then they will be in heaven. If they fail to heed, if they do not look at the response, they fail to heed the response, the warnings of this book... Then they're going to remain forever in their sin and they will wind up in hell. This is a powerful message, folks. This is strong. This people need to see what is going, what they're facing. And when they see it, they need to, we can judge their response. How are they going to respond? Now, what about for us? How do we apply this? Well, we are the ones who proclaim this. We're the ones to proclaim it. But first of all, we need to understand this message, don't we? Sometimes I, I feel like we don't understand the book of, of Revelation. I feel like that we don't really understand eschatology, that's the study of, of the end times, and so we don't really talk about it. It really doesn't impact our life very much. And so we kind of just let it go. First of all, we need to understand this book so we know how to implement this into our message when we're talking to people, when we're talking to the unsaved. And then number two, I believe in our generation we need to make an adjustment to our our message. We've had for so long just a message of love and a God of love. But this... This informs our, our message that God is not only a God of love, He's also a God of wrath. And we will be facing this wrath. And, and, and we can ask people, hey, do you not fear God's wrath? 
God is, God is going to come. What, is, what are you going to do if He would come now and He would see what you're doing? See you in your sins? That's the appropriate message. And our message needs to be adjusted. And we've got this message of just of love and, and that God would never do anything bad to people. And that's just not the right God, folks. It's not the right God. And Revelation gives us a clear picture of God's wrath. And He does this ahead of time. And number five, we proclaim it, but we also... The next word is service. Number five is verse 12. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. This is again is Christ. And He says, My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Jesus is returning. He's got his reward. He says, I'm coming quickly at any moment. You don't know when that's going to take place. And he's got his rewards with him in his hand to reward those who are faithfully serving him, his servants. And it's based upon their faithfulness. Because he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And our rewards are going to be based upon our faithfulness and our of service of time here on this earth. Now, we may have a, a lot of works built up, but those works are going to be put. And we compare this with Scripture. There's many Scriptures that I could give. But we, can, we, uh, we put those, uh, those works will be put under a fire and, and they will be burned and, and some will just be burned up. There will be nothing really to them. Nothing of eternal value there left. But there will be some with pure motives with faithfulness, done in faithfulness, that will remain. And the greater faithfulness that we have here on this earth now, the greater faithfulness, or the greater opportunities that we will have to serve God in heaven. And that's the idea. His reward is coming. His reward is going to be in the form of, of uh, more service for Him, doing more for Him. And the, like I said, the, the key word... Uh, is service. Service. You say, what's the difference between serving Him and obeying Him? Because we're told to obey Him early on, and do the, or take heed to the, the, uh, these commands of this book. What's the difference there? Here's the difference. Christ said, I must be about my Father's business. This is Christ when he was a young man. His concern was building the kingdom of God. Now, obedience is, is just that, obeying God. But service is seeing what God is doing and working alongside with God. Working to build God's kingdom. Building His kingdom. You say, how do you do that? Make disciples. That's what Christ is doing. That's what Christ did. That's what God is, is doing. That's what Christ is doing in His church. He is making disciples. And if we want to be about our Father's business, that's what we do. We make disciples. We go out. We find uh, people who need to understand this word and we disciple them. Make them a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number two, we give to the church. You, you give to God's work. That, that's You're building the kingdom by giving, the church operates on funds. And you have to, we have to have funds. And so you're building the kingdom of God when you're giving to the church. You're building to the kingdom of God when you're evangelizing. When you're going out and, and proclaiming the message of the, of the truth, evangelizing. You're building the kingdom when you're edifying. 
Edifying believers. When you're spurring one another on to love and good deeds, that's building the kingdom. You're building the kingdom when we pray for it. When was the last time you prayed? Lord, let your kingdom be built here on this earth. When was the last time? Can you be truly called? And I had to ask myself, Am I really a servant of God? Am I just obeying or am I a servant of God? Am I being active, proactive, if you will, in building God's kingdom? A servant that's going to someday get his reward. Is he, am I building his kingdom? Well, as believers, we are to lead a life that is Christ-centered, a Christ-centered life. And the question, just the obvious question, is what, are we, what do we do in response to this book? What are you doing? Is there, are you a servant? Are you obeying? Or are we just going to take this book, put it on the shelf and say, oh, that was a great book and, and that's, that's the end of it. I challenge us. We, we cannot do that. This book of Revelation has to impact our life. It is the word of God. It has to impact our life. John was released from the island of Patmos. He was taken back to uh, his position in Ephesus. By this time, he is an older man. And they had to prop him up to speak. When John got there, he proclaimed this message. And he let the people know uh, this message. He elevated it, just like the Word of God should be elevated. He proclaimed it. And the story got out. And this, this book was written. And it's been a a warning for generation after generation for 2,000 years now. And I'm so glad that John was obedient. He wrote these things down. He gets back to the position that he once was. And he begins to warn. Warn them. And he does so with this book of Revelation. This book has to impact our life, folks. It's the Word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. For this precious word, Uh, it is precious, it is set apart, and it is holy. Lord, may we treat it as holy. May we see this book as not commonplace. That we, we see it as your word that has a demand on our life. May we never act as though you haven't spoken to us. Because you have It is written down for us. It is here. Everything that we need for life and godliness, everything that we need to hear to be able to serve you well is in this book. May it be a special book to us. May we pursue it. Seek to understand it. Put ourselves underneath it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These things may not have made sense to you today. I would encourage you to talk to some of us, talk to our elders, talk to myself. These are spiritual matters and they have to be understood in spiritual ways. We have to understand this is the a living word that is being breathed here, is being spoken out here. This is God's word. If we can help you in any way to understand that more clearly, uh, you need to you need to talk with us. This is a message of salvation. It's a message that we have to the world. It is good news. It is good news.